Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Faith in UU, the podcast for everyone. My name is McKinley Sims. I am the minister of the UU Church of the Restoration in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But currently, I'm sitting in the mountains somewhere north of Philadelphia with the one and only a man named J.E., who is one of my friends from back in the day. He's been a mentor and a good friend and a constant companion throughout my journey. And we uh, didn't have a whole lot to do today, and we thought about recording a podcast. So here we are. Do you want to say hi? Hi. I didn't know we were going to use real names, but hello. (laughs) Do you want to be something else? (laughs) J.E., how are you today? <laughs> I'm, do- I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So uh, you're kind of new to this podcast, so I'll explain a little bit for you and for new people who are listening mm-hmm. what this podcast is about. So I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. I grew up in West Texas. I grew up in a conservative Christian denomination, and now I serve in a very liberal denomination that is not just Christian, but includes a lot of interfaith groups of people. Uh, here on the East Coast. So my journey has been one from a lot of different places and a lot of uh, different thoughts and theologies into where I am now. And this podcast is a way for me to express some of those things, to share a little bit about my journey, to share about Unitarian Universalism and how my progressive and liberal Christianity influences that understanding and my work within our denomination. So I thought we might talk a little bit about faith today. Does it sound okay? That sounds okay. Okay. So I have a list of questions here. Okay. You just want to run through them? Yeah. I mean, it's your show. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> See, this, friends, this is the kind of humor that you can't get anywhere else. We've been going at each other nonstop. For 11 years. For 11 years. Yeah. J.E. Yes. First question. Okay. What's your religious background? Let's see. Uh, grew up and the Deep South, grew up in Alabama, so by default, that's the buckle of the Bible Belt, so grew up Baptist. Um, pretty, uh, I would say my family was very consistent going to church every Sunday, and you know you're going to church whenever my mom would wake up at the butt crack of dawn and she would put on... <laughs> The radio, which was gospel radio, and then you just knew you were going to go to Sunday school and church, regardless of how much you tried to fake and sleep in, or just, like, oh, I don't feel good. Go sit in the toilet, and then, you know, <laughs> come on out. You got 30 minutes to get ready. So <laughs> We're going whether you like it or not. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or I would try to stall or say things <laughs> like, oh, I can't find my pants, or I knew where the pants were. Or I'll try to put on white socks with my black pants just to stall time and just hope that she would say, I'll just leave you here. But no, no, no. She knew I was a heathen and <laughs> needed to go to church. This was like when I was a kid, not when I was like an adult or anything. And you so, didn't want to you didn't want to go why? Well just because it was boring and you were a little kid. Well yeah, I mean when you're a kid you don't really understand anything other than, you know, Jesus loves little children and you go into Sunday school and memorize a Bible verse, and at times it felt quickish because I didn't go to the same schools as most of my uh, church quote-unquote friends went to. So in some ways I already felt like an outcast and didn't really have a sense of belonging with them. Mm -hmm. So 
And then since I read and went to Sunday school, my nickname was Visitor. You know. Was it really? Yeah, it was Visitor. What, I, what denomination is this? Baptist. It was, well, Missionary Baptist. Yeah. So basically in, in Southern uh, Baptist churches, you have the Southern Baptists, which are typically white. And then uh-huh. um, Missionary Baptists or Primitive Baptists. Those are two subsets of Baptists that are more geared towards. I, I grew up with Primitive Baptist. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, so you washed your feet when you were baptized? I I wasn't baptized in that church, but... But people washed their feet? Yes. Okay, yeah, we thought that was nasty. So we just did the regular <laughs> Baptist thing. Um, so I guess just grew up Baptist, okay. and I just knew... Um, it was customary for kids to be baptized. And, you know, in order to be baptized, you, like after the pastor gave his sermon, there was a... Uh, he's like, the doors of the church stand open, which mm-hmm. means... If you wanted to join the church as a member, if you wanted to rededicate your life, if you wanted to be baptized, you have to walk up in front of everybody. What some people call an altar call? Uh, altar call is different. Altar okay. call in my church was, that was the big prayer before the sermon. Okay. So after, yeah. So after um, the sermon, you have to walk up there to see our church was one of the biggest churches in town, which was maybe about a thousand people attendance mm-hmm. every sermon mm-hmm. so i was like i don't want to walk up in front of all those people so i went to the evening service where it was far less people like maybe a hundred uh-huh. and did it but i did it because everyone else was doing it i didn't really understand what the big deal of you know the big deal of getting baptized was outside of getting uh communion every first sunday how old were you i was, I was about 10 10 or 11 when I gave my life to Christ and got baptized, and I mean, it was cool, but I just felt like it was something to do because everyone else was doing it. Are we talking full dunking? Or are we talking sprinkling? I was full dunking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to bring my change of clothes mm-hmm. and everything after. And <laughs> but the thing I remember most is when I walked up to say I wanted to be a candidate for baptism. I just looked out to my mom crying because it was like because it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, in the church, whenever your kid wanted to be, you know, become a Christian. Mm-hmm. So to see that was cool. But again, I was like, the only reason why I did it, because I was one of the oldest kids who never had been baptized. So I was like, well, I guess I should go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really feel anything. It was more of a, like a checklist mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. But you felt something when you looked at it and saw your mom. It's yeah, I felt like I made her proud. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was like, you know, me being selfless. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't do it for me. I did it for others. And I also wanted to have communion. So yeah. So I want to be left out. Mm-hmm. Of the still cracker and grape juice. And maybe some human connection and human reasons for it rather than any kind of spiritual feeling. It was more conforming. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we both say yeah at the yeah. same time. <laughs> conforming. <laughs> so if that wasn't powerful or didn't really resonate with you, is there some other moment from your faith life when you were younger that does? If not baptism, is there another time in church or another moment? Where I felt faith? Or yeah, where you, felt, where you felt God, you felt something powerful, you felt some kind of spiritual connection. Through church. Sure. Hmm. 
And if there's not, there may not be. No, I'm thinking. Uh, I think when I when I got when I went through the teenage years, you know, I started understanding the presence of God, mm-hmm. and every summer we have revival, and I knew it changed when I was looking forward to going, like mm-hmm. actually like hearing the guests. Uh, pastor speak. I yep. like hearing um, and relating the word to real life things that were going on, mm-hmm. um, whether it's social justice or just equality when it comes to people and, and black people and yep. um, hardships and just the experience of being black and you know having hope, having um, prayers, having a sense of direction, inspiration. I think that's where I really started to understand um, like it was bigger than me, but at the same time uh, growing up well, I knew I was I was gay since I was probably five or six mm-hmm. and I think in that church when my, this was the same time when I was maybe in high school and I remember I think this was during Bill Clinton's presidency when he was talking about the whole don't ask, don't tell Yep. and my pastor had something I mean, this was like 1990s Huntsville, Alabama, mm-hmm. Bible Belt. Again, even though Huntsville is very progressive, it's a very liberal city mm-hmm. in Alabama. It's still Alabama. And it's still in the church. And so in the black church, homosexuality is one of those things where it's frowned upon. Right. Like it, you know, it, it, it's so interesting that in a, it, it's a power struggle. And I think with Blacks in general not having that sense of power in society. The one thing that we have is Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, and then we could use that Christianity to hold power and control those um, who didn't have it. So being gay was in that category. Right. But I think something that really I remember a lot was um, my pastor had said something about, you know, I don't understand homosexuality, but I still love anyone who identifies that way. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to throw them aside and say you're not welcome here. Right. So for him to say that, I was like, wow, like that's huge. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. And to think about it in hindsight, that pastor has been a huge part of my life and big life events. I was in that church's first kindergarten class. Uh, the whole acceptance of being gay, mm-hmm. for him to say that, um, him marrying my brother, mm-hmm. marrying my mother and my stepfather, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your ghetto when I was gay, when you, <laughs> in your parents' wedding. Uh, he also, um, and then he's, and then he was the pastor of my mom's funeral. Yeah. So I'm talking from five until thirties. He's been a part of my life. Constant. Yeah, he's been a constant. And I think in some ways, regardless of the distance, I've always felt centered to that church because of what he said about homosexuality in my teens and struggling to, I wouldn't say accept it, Mm -hmm. but struggling to be, it's it's hard, I would say code switching. Like, you know who you are inside, but to have to code switch and nod your head on Errol's nods their head about something that is quote unquote wrong, it's tough. Well, it sounds like you got, you were labeled the visitor from a young age mm-hmm. just for not going to the same school. 
and Sunday school. And and then to have another identity that is yeah. also marginalized and excluded in some way. Right. I hear that. Mm-hmm. I hear that. So does that inform your faith now in a new way? Like, do you is there a church that you're attending now, or how do you how do you live out your faith nowadays? Short answer, no. Um, Do I miss that community of worship? Absolutely. But I wouldn't say I have it. I don't know. I would say I'm indifferent. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that I miss out not going to church, but I do miss out. Because, again, I think community and to congregate is an important part of worship. And help forms a bond upward. However, with all this stuff politically, morally, ethically that goes on with the church, not to generalize it, but it makes it tough to have the faith that yeah. you are yeah. in order to be accepted into a congregation and then asking personal questions or answering personal questions like, well, aren't you married? And oh, there's, yes. this, there, there's this great lady who's in a singles ministry who uh, I would love to introduce you to and mm-hmm. so then having to go through that stuff you're like I'm like okay I don't want to out myself in the first that on right. Sunday I'm here visiting church right. or in the singles ministry but in order to but you know I have tried going to different churches um, whether it's uh, predominantly white or non-denominational non-denominational but mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel the same and what I mean by that is growing up in that Baptist church you just felt you felt the presence of God mm-hmm. in that service, whether yep. it's through the fragrance when you walked in, whether it's the songs, the choir song, where it's where like you just felt at home. Yeah. And even when I went to go visit my home church last year, I felt that I felt that whole presence again. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing things in service what I do as a kid. Like I, I sat on the same side mm-hmm. of the church, mm-hmm. the left side. I was counting the banisters on the wall. Uh, I mean, I was like, oh my God, I'm regressing to when I was 14. Yeah. So to have that experience, and then I was looking around, I saw my uncle, and then he was sitting in his same seat, and then when he saw I was there, he was like, he was like, whoa, like, you're, you're in Huntsville? Mm-hmm. Like, that thing. And then afterwards, you know, um, you know, but so I mean, so seeing the same faces, the same kind of customary things was what, um, Really meant a lot for me. Yeah. 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 I hear that same comment about a lot of uh, black folks who come into UU churches, especially since that's where I serve. And many of them come from the LGBTQ community and were ostracized, were burned at their mainline Christian church. Uh, They were not accepted or might have been accepted, but didn't feel completely welcomed. Right felt excluded in some way and carry that trauma and that baggage with them. Mm -hmm. And they come to the UU church, which claims to be the liberal progressive edge of religious practice and is in a lot of ways. And that they feel like there's something missing Mm -hmm. from our churches, which are predominantly white, Mm -hmm. Uh, not totally white, but predominantly white. And at restoration, we're probably 30% people of color which is a huge number for the EU denomination and a huge number, I think, for churches in general. 
you know, Martin Luther King talking about 10 to 11 on Sunday morning, still the most segregated hour in America. And that's still definitely true. So mm-hmm. even though we have diversity of skin tone in our congregation, the diversity of spirit is not there, mm-hmm. right? We still have a predominantly white Eurocentric mm-hmm. frame of worship, musical style, and a way of being in the mm-hmm. pews. And I think my personal belief is that is something that is kind of labeled white, doing air quotes here, but just kind of sitting in the pews and consuming rather than participating more actively in the service. Right? Yeah. I mean, music is, I mean, music is such a huge part of yeah. the black experience, whether it's, you know, you can trace it back to, to Africa. You can, the yeah. church and music has always been synonymous with the experience of going to church and mm-hmm. not having that same kind of connection. Um, it does lessen the sense of being in, yeah. a, in a Eurocentric experience yeah. of a church. And I think that's one of my main things as well. I mean, when I went to a non-denominational church in West Texas, it was definitely diverse in terms of the people. Mm-hmm. It was diverse in the terms of the music. I mean, it was a, it was a good church. Yeah. Could I have joined it in the long run? Uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I would have done it begrudgingly. Not because yeah. I really wanted to. But at times, I had to go to the 8 o'clock service because that's where they did the traditional music, which was turn to hymn no 242. Mm-hmm. Seeing guys unchanging hand, mm-hmm. you know, the drums start playing and the clapping and the tambourine. And I'm like, oh, that's do his hand. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. That's 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 my that that felt I felt a connection to that. Mm-hmm. I don't feel a connection to let's look at a PowerPoint slide of the lyrics mm-hmm. and sing this song. Right. Not that it takes away from my experience, but I mean, should the word be the most important part of the experience? Depends who you ask. Mm-hmm. But for me, the music is important and if I don't have that sense of connection where I feel like I'm being um, what's the word I'm looking for like fed. huh fed yeah if I'm not yeah because I mean in, in some ways the way I see it when you praise and worship that's mm-hmm. an appetizer to getting yourself warmed up for the experience of mm-hmm. worship and if I'm not getting that sense of fulfillment from yep. the start it seems as though the word is going to have to not, not impressed, but it's going to have to move me even harder because mm-hmm. I'm not warmed up. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to go serve a tennis ball without stretching your shoulder. Right. And trying to crank a serve out 130 miles an hour. That's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, you may hurt yourself. Yeah. So not having that musical connection could hurt that experience of worship. That's something I talk with our worship associates at Restoration about, that mm-hmm. sometimes music will do what words just cannot. Correct. And that there's a reason that music speaks to us so deeply on so many levels. And... When we plan worship, when we think about worship, mm-hmm. having the music reinforce or lead the message yeah. is, you know, just as uh, applicable, I guess, mm-hmm. as figuring out what you're going to say first and then trying to figure out everything else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's okay to let everything else lead you in yeah. that. I like that. What's your favorite hymn? Ooh, that is Put a you on the spot tough here. one. My favorite hymn? Man, I love Oh How I Love Jesus. Oh. I like Trust and Obey. Uh, pass Me, oh, Pass Me Not. Pass Me Not? Yes. Okay. Pass Me Not, O oh Gentle Savior. Uh-huh. Hear my humble cry. 
So I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Because of my work as an adult. But mm-hmm. those three hymns that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. I never sang in church growing up. Really? Never. What kind of hymnal were y'all using? Different different hymnals going to Baptist Church, uh, United Methodist, and Episcopal Church. Yeah. Never. Never heard it. No. no I mean, you heard, heard it, but never sang, sang it. Never oh, sang man. it. man. Those are like, because like, even when the, like, even when you walked in church and you saw the bullets in and you saw one of the songs was going to be, um, Pass Me Not, you're uh, like, oh, like, that's my song. Yeah. Like, here we go. Yeah. And then, and then when you started singing it and then when the choir started remixing it, then you start hearing the altos and the tenors. Yeah. And then when the choir director, you know, does a little signal to sing the chorus one more time because <laughs> everyone was just into it. That's what that means. That's what that that's the warm up you need. That's right. like okay, I'm ready to praise now. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that's just such an important part that people kind of take for granted. And that's was such a huge part of my learning growing up a white kid in West Texas, and then coming into a more inclusive, more diverse community as an adult, and then leading. A spiritual community that is more diverse. I don't know how many people recognize that there's those two kinds of experiences, right? Yeah. That there's two experiences of America mm-hmm. for people of color, especially for black folks mm-hmm. versus white folks. There's two experiences of Christianity, it sounds mm-hmm. like for you and me. Mm-hmm. And there's these two cultures that when you get them together, if they've come from different places, we really see a lot of tension and friction, especially in our mm-hmm. union church. At General Assembly a few weeks ago, Leslie Takahashi is one of my colleagues who gave what's called the Barry Street Lecture. And she was talking about race relations within Unitarian Universalism, within liberal religion, and how Unitarian Universalism is supposed to be this great interfaith body where people of all skin tones, ethnicities, cultures, Theological traditions come together under one roof to worship. But how we bring these different cultural expectations and these different cultural experiences on our journey, and that the white part has become the centered part mm-hmm. for us, mm-hmm. and how that is by definition exclusionary mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Yeah. And that we don't always realize that because we might not know that your three favorite hymns are hymns that I never sang growing mm-hmm. up. We might not even think that. Yeah. And she says that, especially on the theological tradition side, some people who still kind of are centered in Christianity, but like a really progressive Christianity like me, some people who came from Judaism, who've kind of abandoned some of that theological language, but are still kind of culturally Jewish. Some people who practice Buddhism meditation, Hindu meditation. And some people who come in either unchurched or have totally rejected any kind of traditional theological language rejected God language, rejected anything that even smacks of Christianity or Judaism. And one of the most powerful quotes Leslie had was that for many of us who have replaced God with a capital G with community, that's how we experience religion. That we're not feeling anything overtly spiritual, but we feel connected to community. Right? So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about when you talked about the moment of looking out at your mom Mm -hmm. when you're being baptized. That that kind of human community connection is a spiritual thing for many people, especially when they come to our church. And that if for those of us who replaced God with community, when community is exclusionary and when community is not safe for people of color, for gay folks or trans folks, 
the how damaging that is mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. And I and he might have insight into this, but I think I would expect that from you know our primitive Baptist folks back in West Texas because that's their theology. But you, I don't want to expect it from a UU church mm-hmm. that's supposed to be the liberal leading progressive love with a capital L place. Well, and what's interesting to me was, you tell me that you grew up primitive Baptist. I never knew that white people were primitive. I thought it was all, no? I thought it was all black churches were primitive. You're like the first white person I know who went to a primitive Baptist church. Okay, so I get a primitive Baptist newspaper, and I have never seen a black face in it. What? I thought all the primitive Baptist no, churches were white. No, if you cross the Mississippi River, man, all the primitive Baptist churches are black. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there are tons in Alabama. Tons. Maybe, so maybe maybe it's a Texas versus Alabama thing. That's interesting. Or a deep south versus, yeah. you know, the further west you go away from the center of the buckle. Right. It's, but, I mean, again, if you think about slavery yeah. and how Christianity was... Forced to onto slaves, yeah. and how they had to abandon or do their traditions of worship from from God. I mean, look at what West Indies countries with mm-hmm. Haiti, with uh, Cuba, with Dominican Republic, with I want to say the Voodoo, but with the, with the drums, yeah. and the circles and the chants and the drums. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that that was worship. And so when that was frowned upon yeah. in the southern states, mm-hmm. here's your Bible. Here's some things you have to start doing. Kind of whitewashed it. You you whitewashed yeah. it. Or you have to totally dismiss what your customs were. That yeah. tradition is now lost. And so, yes, many blacks have to take on the form of their slave owners yeah. when it comes to how they worship in yeah. order to, to live. Mm-hmm. And so that's why perhaps there is something primitive Baptist. Mm-hmm. In the deep south, who are black, because that's that's new tradition. Yeah, that's the new way of how you got, how you got to worship. Yeah, and if you want to do any kind of your own worship, you have to do it in secret. Right, you have to do it on your own. Right. So, yeah, that's probably why that is. That's I, I'm gonna be processing that yeah. for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, is there something from it? It sounds like you've been on a journey, and that some things still resonate with you from your your early religious education and your early church, you still feel connected to that community in some ways. Is there a theological concept that you still really hold on to? Something that's been really meaningful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I was in front of Christian school from kindergarten to third grade. Mm-hmm. So the foundation is definitely there. I definitely don't study the word as I should, but the book of Proverbs always speaks to me, just mm-hmm. in relation to how to talk to people, how to use wisdom, how to not react to yeah. things, how to be proactive, how to think with the calm, a calming heart, with the calming presence, to not let you know loose words out of anger, mm-hmm. you know, to break a a dam of water, which really yeah. just I mean, it's for me since I'm so abstract, philosophical, and uh, I'm an empath that uh-huh. always speaks to me and definitely items in the New Testament do as well mm-hmm. um, do I read it for 
I wouldn't say entertainment. Do I read it to... For pleasure. <laughs> do I read it for pleasure or just to center myself and yeah. feel like I'm off kilter? No. Mm. But I think for me, from a theoretical, theological standpoint, is just really remembering like the book of Proverbs mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. using music to help me um, worship yeah. as well. So I think it's made more music yeah. and more through my actions, but also just whether it's with thoughts or just talking aloud, just really having that personable, personal, yeah. intimate conversations with God. It's how I practice now. When it sounds like Proverbs teaches you how to have personal, intimate conversations with people, yeah, too. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it goes both, yeah, horizontally and vertically. Yeah, I think just with the Book of Solomon and the story of David and Solomon, really just always spoke to me. It yeah. was just easy for me to understand. Which I mean, the Bible's a tough read, yeah, you know. But with, <laughs> but with amen to I mean, that. I mean, that's putting it mildly, not yeah. to downplay it, but. I just think it just has so many good adages about and parables and things that you can relate to. So I think for me, it's always just really stuck to me. Yeah. And yeah. Do you, do you know that my favorite Bible verse comes between David and Solomon? No. What was it? It's from the book of Chronicles, but uh, it's about their relationship. Well, it's the history book. I don't expect you to read it. <laughs> Talk about a tough read. Yeah. Book of Chronicles. It, so it's from uh, David older David talking to young son Solomon mm-hmm. who will be king and it's about the building of the temple and according to the story David is forbidden from building the temple because he's shed blood and he hasn't uh, always lived up to his role as king mm-hmm. right so they're trying to build the house of God but David can't do it so he appoints young Solomon and Solomon says I can't how can I fill your shoes how can I step mm-hmm. into that role and David says, be strong and courageous and do the work. For the mm-hmm. Lord your God is with you wherever you go and will not leave you or forsake you. Mm-hmm. And that part about be strong and courageous and do the work mm-hmm. has always resonated so deeply with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a time in the mid-2000s when I would translate it for folks as be strong and courageous and do work, son. That's, yeah, that's a good... <laughs> to uh, put it in the parlance of the text. Yeah, yeah. But just, I always think about what is the work to be done mm-hmm. as a minister, as a human being, as a white person, as a man. And when I start to feel like that's, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot to try and fix. I don't need to do it all by myself, but I do need to do the work mm-hmm. with strength and courage. Yeah. Cause work without, wait, faith without work. Dead. Yeah. So yeah. It all kind of ties in. Yes. Mm, we're making connections. Yeah. We might have answered this a little bit. Is there anything you want to say about something that you've totally gotten rid of, jettisoned from your early faith practice? Any theologies that you've just yeah. let fall away? I don't use anything from the Old Testament to mm. disavow or discount people's mm. admits into forgiveness or, or into heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole homosexuality thing is, you know, in Leviticus is always mm-hmm. a rallying cry for those who like to tell that homosexuality is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then my counter is, well, so is eating pork, but, you know, you have to barbecue every mm-hmm. other weekend with your plate, eating some ribs. Mm-hmm. So 
you can't say this thing is bad yet ignore everything else yeah. that says that is bad too. Yeah. I mean, women, you still shave your legs. Yeah. Fellas, you don't let your beards grow out. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think with those kind of rules and see, because I think the thing that Christianity that gets overlooked is that it's an individual relationship that's enhanced through a congregation of others. Mm-hmm. But if you're not centered individually and if you can't interpret it the way that it, I wouldn't say that it fits you, mm-hmm. but I think that the word and I think with your relationship with God is individualistic for your own spiritual experience, mm-hmm. not to be influenced by others or influenced by um, church, these mega churches who say, you know, they, they say one thing, but the actions and the things that they do or say is totally different. Mm-hmm. Or looking at a political party, right. they say they're the party of Christ, yet they're a thing that's totally opposite of what Christ would actually do. Right. So when you see those types of things, it's hypocritical, yeah. it's a double standard. And in some ways, it makes me embarrassed to be affiliated with quote-unquote Christians yeah. who do and say those things. So I think for me, it definitely enhances my sense of rebellion. Not mm. that I'm rebelling against God. I'm just rebelling against what the term Christianity means now or, or organized religion because it's definitely not – it doesn't feel like it's something I want to be a part of because yeah. it's so – exclusive not inclusive and it's just, it's a sense of control and power versus being accepting and loving amen to that yeah that's part of why i chose the uu ministry mm-hmm. and it's part of why i started this podcast because for me it has been about reclaiming christianity yeah for my own personal sense of identity like you said but also i think there's also a corporate Right for my Christianity, in my Christian sense, you have to have both a personal spiritual path. So we're talking Unitarian Universalism mm-hmm. about the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and your own individual right of conscience. Some of our principles that there's a personal element to it, but that you can't practice Christianity in my eyes by yourself, and that if you're only thinking about your individual self, and you're not thinking about other people, to love others, to serve others, to love others as you love yourself, that you're not really doing it. Mm-hmm. Like you're not doing the work. Uh, right. Well, and people look at God as like, it's he's so concrete that mm-hmm. it's so black and white. You, you, you can't do this and you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we often try to make God less complex, often so that we can exclude people, right? Because if God is simple, then everything else is simple, and I don't have to work too hard to try and include you, right? If you found a church mm-hmm. that you felt really welcome to, really um, part of their community, that you felt like they were living out the mission. Can you describe more what does it look like, what does it feel like for you? If you found the perfect church, how would you know? See, that's the thing. Because, like, I don't want to... I don't want to discount a church based off, like, it's tender. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, because I think that's, I don't want to limit as far as what I want a church to have. And then if it doesn't have that one thing, then it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I'm going to swipe left type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, it has to be a community where everyone feels they can be themselves, mm-hmm. where 
there's more than what words can say about being inclusive. You see it in the actions. You see it in how members greet one another, how they welcome visitors, how they really edify what it is to be a person of God. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it isn't self-serving. It isn't something that's bragged about. It's something that's very humbling. It's something that you feel more than what you can hear. Mm -hmm. Um, Is music an important part? Yes. Uh, Is it the most important part? Absolutely not. But I think you have to pay some homage. Um, Well, is homage? Homage? Homage. Homage, yeah, thank you. Homage. Not Uh, Okay. Homage bread is good. Um, You got to pay some respect to the foundation of what worship is through music. So if we can at least sing a hymn Mm -hmm. every once in a while and have a choir come up there and sing her once in a while. Mm-hmm. Praise and wish people are cool, you know, you have your little two or three song leaders and a group of eight people, that's fine. But, we can have a mixed choir, uh, well, when I say mixed, man, women, you know, up there singing uh-huh. some Mississippi Mass Choir songs from the 1990s. I would love that, because uh, when my mom, when she had her funeral, yeah, the pastor had asked my pastor again and said, uh, what kind of songs you think she would want to sing? I was like, Order My Steps, <laughs> Matt, Mississippi Mass Choir. Uh-huh. And he wrote it down, and then they sang it. I was like, I got you, Ma. I know you want that song at, at your at your funeral. Yeah. So um, so I think some of that's important. I think you always have to have a, a centerpiece or a, yeah. a, a, a connective piece that centers you. Mm-hmm. So I think if the music part has that, and if the word is progressive, and relatable mm-hmm. and something that you can actually apply and I'm like because my brother's church in Birmingham mm-hmm. is awesome very young pastor I'm not saying he's early 40s mm-hmm. but um, he does things like he uses movies or uses like he does he, he, he's very outside the box with yeah. his approach yeah. but it's so relatable and progressive that it's not in your face but it gives you so profound aha moments mm-hmm. that you just want to talk about it. It's a Baptist church. Not a denomination. Not a denomination. Mm-hmm. But it's one that speaks through, is not a black church. It's a multicultural yeah. church, is what he always says. Yeah. And all are welcome type of thing. Mm-hmm. But this is a sense of community when I go there. That's where my, that's what reminded me a lot about my church now in, in Huntsville. Yeah. Growing up was, I feel that same experience going to his church than I did when I was a kid. Yeah. When you were saying that music is such an important part of worship and how you knew what song your mom would have wanted at her memorial, mm-hmm. you also mentioned listening to music as a centering practice mm-hmm. earlier. How do you pray if you pray? Mm. And is listening to music prayer for you? That's prayer for me. Yeah. Listening to music is totally prayer. Um, with prayer, I don't get down on my knees and put my hands together. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I just more like it is more of a thought. Yep. It's more of a quick speech of, I wouldn't say remembrance, but um, it's like if I'm about to fly on a plane, mm-hmm. I'm like, Lord, please let your angels of child and mercy be with me on this flight. Mm-hmm. And make sure I get there safely. Please. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's the thing. Like I'm not trying to, give orders or just speak to God when things are bad. Mm-hmm. I also remember to thank him when things are good mm-hmm. as well. So there definitely is a balance. I mean, he's not a kiosk. 
you know. Yep. But, <laughs> but, I, but I think for me, that's... It's not a vending machine. Not a vending machine. Yeah. You know, it's definitely something where I stay centered, but through prayer, it's either through music, it's through just a quick thank you, it's a quick word, it's asking him for guidance. When yep. I feel like um, when, I feel, when I feel I need it, it's hearing that inner voice that I know it's not me. That's when I, that's how I see prayer. Yep. Yep. I, I think about, there are a lot of different ways to pray and a lot of folks come with concern, uh, or discomfort or worry about feeling silly when we pray. And the, one of my first kind of teachable moments I got in seminary was that there are a lot of different ways to pray. You can pray with words, you can pray in silence, you can pray with your feet when you show mm-hmm. up to a protest, when you uh, demand closing the concentration camps here in America, mm-hmm. but that's a form of prayer. And you use are really good about that kind of prayer. And I think some of us are still learning how to reclaim other ideas of prayer. And for me, I, I used to pray the same prayer every night. It was a general thank you uh, blessing of others, call for protection. And that, I don't know if it brought me comfort, but it was like routine. Yeah. That I would do before I slept. Yeah. And we prayed all the time in church, especially in the Episcopal church. So doing the Lord's prayer, the Our Father prayer, constantly. And I've kind of fallen in love again with that prayer since coming out of seminary and since going back into ministry especially the idea of a few things that earth is supposed to be made in heaven's image on earth as it is in heaven, right? That idea of trying to create beloved community, trying to create the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the good on earth is part of the call, right? Part of Jesus's words to his disciples and the idea of daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Because there's a lot of stuff in the world, a lot of things that bring me down, that make me feel run down. And it would be so nice if we got bread, spiritual bread, if we got good results, if we got progress, victories, all at once. That if magically everything was better, all in one day. But that's not how it works. You go one day at a time, and that. The promise is bread for today. And then tomorrow is a whole new ballgame. Yeah. Right? So then bread for tomorrow. And that if you take it one day at a time and focus on doing the work, right? Doing the work one day at a time, that is something that resonates real deeply with me. And so I've kind of reclaimed that prayer for my own self, apart from any hurtful theology that the rest of Christianity has, that idea of the connection with the world around you, trying to make it a better place and taking it one day at a time. And there's a lot more things than that. Forgiving others, yeah. forgiveness, etc. Praising that, which is holy. That's well, become. Well, sometimes, you know, with the daily bread, sometimes it could be DL bread from the day before this so it can provide a blessing for you. Ooh, sometimes the daily bread might be day-old bread that can still provide a blessing for you. Yeah. Words to Live By by J.E. Yeah. Yeah, 
kind of left you a little speechless, didn't you? Amen to that. Yeah. I'm even going to write that down right now. <laughs> make, well, sure, make, make sure you quote me in that. <laughs> Day old bread. So when we were planning this podcast, I'd asked if you had any questions you wanted to ask me. And I've been asking you a lot. Has anything come up that you wanted to ask me? It can be about anything. Sure. Why not? Uh, is it ever tiring for you having to educate other white people on what white privilege is? Yes, occasionally. But I see that as my responsibility and a power that I have that I'm supposed to use responsibly. Uh, given my social location, given my education, given my ministerial authority. Right? So J.E. has been uh, a witness to me <laughs> interacting with others on social media platforms, uh, voicing my opinions and hoping to lead them on to other places. Yeah, if you ever see the, the gif about, um, you know, is either Michael Jackson eating popcorn or... <laughs> You know, that's me when I read his posts on social media because it's very intense, entertaining uh, exchanges between him and other white males about what privilege is. One of the the unfortunate side effects of being a white dude here in America is that you think you can tell other people how to do their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, people love to tell me how to do my job, which is not only limited to white guys. Uh, but it's usually white guys, especially older white guys, especially older white guys who are in my family. Um, but I, I do see it as work and labor that I'm supposed to engage in and that in some ways I'm demanded to engage in. So one of the theological concepts that guides my life is waking up and asking the question, what does love with a capital L demand of me today? What does God ask of me today, right? To love others, to serve others, and to try and make the world a better place, right? To build heaven on earth. And part of that uh, social power that I have as a white, educated, male minister is to take that on so that folks like you, people of color, marginalized folks in the LGBTQ community don't have to do the emotional labor because they've been doing it for their entire lives. Mm -hmm. right? And it's new to me to be doing that. So it's kind of my turn and it's also my role. Um, so I think about it as a, it's like the Spider-Man concept that Uncle Ben tells young Peter Parker. Right? With great power comes great responsibility. Sorry, I thought Uncle Ben Rice when he had said that, so I was like, well, I'm, I'm back now, though. I'm That's because we were thinking about Aunt Jemima Pancakes earlier. Yeah, we were. <laughs> I was like, I felt some microaggression there with the Uncle Ben thing. But, hey, no, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Uncle, no, Uncle Ben from uh, <laughs> the Spider-Man <laughs> stories who says, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. J.E. Now I'm picturing the Uncle Ben Rice box. I'm sorry. I just can't get the image out of my head for you. I'm sorry. If you don't know who Uncle Ben uh, is on the Rice box, throw that in your favorite search engine along with Aunt Jemima. 
and uh, <gasps> and maybe think about the complex series of sociological uh, events and history that uh, surround our breakfast foods and our minute rice foods. Yeah, like why is it called Uncle Dan? Why can't this be called Dan's rice? About that? <laughs> That's a great question. We'll dive into next time. I That's guess. one of my questions. Why can't it be called Dan's rice? I'm gonna. I'm going to uh, send you to the management for that one. Cool. Good answer. Can't ask for a manager. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to send him an email. Trying to change that name. You have anything else you want to ask me? No, this is great. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, maybe we'll have you come to our church sometime and preach on Proverbs. Yeah. I would love <laughs> that. <laughs> Just make sure I don't curse. <laughs> Think about it. I've been known to occasionally uh, skirt the line of cursing in church, but sometimes I throw in an H E double hockey sticks or a C R A P, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. <laughs> All right, friends, we're reaching the fifty-minute mark. If you're still listening, thanks for hanging in there. It's been a wonderful conversation. If you are interested in hearing more about what's going on in my life, uh, I'm taking July off from our congregation to do things like this, to do some reading and some writing. You can follow me on Twitter at McKinley L. Sims. That's on Twitter at McKinley L. Sims. Shoot me an email at McKinleyLSims at gmail.com or follow the blog at uuministry.com backslash McKinley Sims. Thank you, friends. Grace and peace to you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Rock me up.